red-letter days, we're, we're asking ourselves a couple questions about what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross. Uh, if you have a Bible that might have uh, the words of Christ in red, that's where the, the, the theme comes from, is we're looking specifically at what Jesus had to say. And, and one of those things that he had to say, Paul covered last week, and he talked about how he cries out right before he passes on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, we kind of unpack that. Well, this week... We're looking at another last word of Christ, uh, a last word of Jesus as he, as he hung there on the cross. And, and the last words kind of have uh, some importance to them. It's kind of a cultural thing of ours that, that we want to know what people's last words were. And, and we don't want to waste those. We want to have, have some weight to them and some meaning to them. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a Mexican revolutionary around the turn of the 20th century named Pancho Villa. You probably just had a flashback to like 10th grade social studies, but Pancho Villa was this kind of this cult hero who, who was, was very, very popular, and his image was almost as important as his actions. And he, he was great at kind of managing his image and, and portraying himself self in the ways that he wanted to be portrayed. And so he had a biographer with him. He had a journalist who was writing books about him, writing stories about him, promoting him. And, and Pancho Villa was, was killed. He was, he was assassinated, and, and he's lying there, and he's dying. He's been shot. And he turns to his biographer as he's dying, and his last words were, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. Don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. There's, there's that importance of just wanting to be remembered for something, and our last words are our final chance to do that. You know, I don't know if you're a Seinfeld fan, but I am. In fact, I, I love just, just kind of catching reruns, and they like run them in like, four-hour blocks, and I just sit on the couch and watch Seinfeld all night, right? And so I'm watching Seinfeld the other night, and there's this episode where Jerry's friend is in the hospital. And Jerry's friend is not doing well, and, and he's told by someone else, hey, Jerry, you're a comedian. You should really go and cheer him up. He could use a laugh. And so Jerry makes this much more complicated than it should be, of course, like he always does. Is back at his apartment talking with George about this. Jerry, see, doesn't want to go to the hospital by himself, and he's trying to, find, trying to rope George into going with him. Well, George is neurotic and just, you know, self-absorbed and crazy and all that. And so George says, there is no way I'm walking into that because I'm always afraid people are going to tell me exactly how they feel about me. There's, there's that clarity that comes with our last words. There's that clarity that comes with that that we want to avoid. And, and it scares us at times because we, people are going to be honest. And it scares us because there's a lot of meaning and importance to it. But, but last words, for whatever reason, we really really want to know what they are. We really sit there a lot with them. So what were the last words of Christ? What were the things that Jesus had to say that, that on the cross He chose to say? If you know anything about the cross, the way that He was hanging there, to breathe was actually probably the hardest part. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't the blood loss. It was, it was breathing. Because as He was hanging there, there would be pressure that would be on His chest. And so He literally couldn't inflate His, inflate his lungs because His arms were outstretched and all His weight was on there. So he had to pull himself up to catch breath. So in this situation, his words are chosen. His words are important. His words have meaning. And if you remember from last week, Paul talked about the whole experience with Jesus just leading up to the cross. He talked about how the Romans would often flog them. And they had this, they had this, this uh, whip that was frayed at the end. And at the end, they would tie in little pieces of rock or bone. And so when you would strike someone in the back, it would hit the flesh and rip it and tear it and split it open. Just this horrific whole ordeal that Jesus went through. And so Jesus is on the cross, and, and some of his last words 
are spoken there. And those last words have great importance. It tells us that Jesus was placed between two criminals. And it starts in Luke chapter 23, if you want to follow along. But in Luke chapter 23, we pick up the passion narrative. And in this story of Jesus on the cross and his later resurrection, in verse 32, we kind of set the stage. It says this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to, to... Excuse me. Were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, and the other on his left. Now it says criminals. Now who were these guys? Well, we're not real sure, but we can take a guess. Because when the Romans executed someone, when they crucified someone, it wasn't just about putting them to death, removing them from, removing them from society. It was about sending a message. It was sending a political message that if you mess with us, this is where you'll end up. If you try to, try to overthrow us, try to get rid of us, try to take away our power, this is where you're going to end up. And so for these two criminals on his left and right, they might be what we refer to as insurgents. These guys were, were people who were killing Roman soldiers, who were, who were fighting against Rome but in very violent ways, and Jesus is there hanging with them. And so in that moment, Jesus is, is hanging there on the cross. He's just been put up on the cross, and his very first words, according to Luke in verse 34, are this. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. The first words of Jesus on the cross, the first of his last words, have to deal with forgiveness. Have to do with forgiveness. Now we look at this, and if you're not following Christ, you can understand why someone would be compelled by him. Someone would be captivated by this man of Jesus. Even if you, don't, if you disregard the fact that he, he was God on earth, you disregard the miracles, the, the prophecy, all the things leading up to this, even if you just take Jesus as a man, you, you, you're compelled by him. Someone who goes through all that he went through and still asks for forgiveness for somebody. Ask that, that these people committing these, this torture, this murder, are forgiven. So, so what does this change? What does this change about the way that we forgive others, the way we interact with other people? How does this impact our lives? I think that, that, that Christ can serve as a hinge point for us because before Christ, before Christ we have, a, we have a thought process that goes like this. You owe me and justice is mine. You owe me and justice is mine. When we have a, a breakdown relationally with somebody, when someone's offended us, we, we sit there and we wait for them to come to us to apologize. We wait for them to make the situation right. We, and we relish that opportunity for someone to come to us and someone to come and apologize. And it's kind of like a, a power trip, right? We want to see this happen because, because in our mindset, we want God to act here and now. We want justice to happen right now. We want those who have done wrong to pay. We want this to happen now, not later. And I think at the cross, the disciples especially were thinking this. These 11 guys now who have followed Jesus for about three years, who thought things were going to end one way and they're ending something completely different. These guys who are watching their leader, the the man they've followed around, a father figure, a, a, a God on earth who's done incredible things in front of them, is being tortured and killed. They want Jesus to act. They want him to perform another miracle, to come off the cross, to to, to destroy those around him who are against him. They want Jesus to act. And that's, I think, what we want too. We want Jesus to act now in our lives in the pain that we experience. 
Oh, what's he waiting on? Why isn't he coming in here and fixing this? Why isn't he making them pay? Why isn't he making the situation right? Because we are looking for that justice. We're owning that justice. But after Christ, after the response of Father, forgive them, after that, there comes another thought process. And it's God forgave, so I'll forgive you. God forgave. God did something, so I'll forgive you. You will forgive because you're forgiven. Forgiveness is getting redefined here. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the actions of the other party. Forgiveness has nothing to do with whether or not they ask for it or or want want an apology or want forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, we have have an excerpt of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is asked, how do you pray? Well, this is how you pray, and this is one of the things. You pray by saying, and forgive us our debts as we we also have forgiven our debtors. God, forgive us of the sin in our lives, but forgive those who have held things against us, who have wronged us, who have caused pain. Whatever it is, forgive us. This this is why Jesus is captivating. This is different. This is new. This doesn't make a lot of sense when we think about it. We we, we look at this and and we say, compared to Jesus, I'm nothing. Because when we look at the cross... When we go to that moment and read about it and think about it, our sin, our mistakes become very, very clear, right? We look at Jesus who committed no fault, who committed no crime, who did nothing wrong, but, but willingly went to this place. Jesus who never fought back, who never lashed out as he was being beaten and tortured, who, who gets to that point and actually prays for forgiveness for those who are doing it. The guy who, who can barely breathe uses one of his breaths to ask for forgiveness. Even if you don't follow Jesus, this is, this is something that's captivating. But at the cross, we see the sin. We see the sin in our lives and we realize that we have a need to be forgiven. That we are incomplete without His forgiveness. We realize that our lives have meaning and have purpose because of what He's done. And when we decide to follow Christ or when we continue to follow Christ, it's not something that we show up to and watch. It's something that we participate in. God is inviting us into it. God is inviting us in to that forgiveness. God is inviting us in to what it means to love. And so our response after Christ is not to look for justice, is not to wait for them to come to us. Our response after Christ is to forgive because we've been forgiven. It's to take that first step, no matter what the other person does or doesn't do. So that means that they, we forgive not because they asked for it or because they deserved it. We forgive not because it is easy or convenient for us. We forgive because we're forgiven. Which raises all kinds of practical questions. It raises all kinds of practical questions of, well, I've forgiven so-and-so, but they wronged me again. They just did the same thing again. Should I forgive them a second time? A third, a fourth? Or I'm not, I know that person is just toxic. And I know their track record. And I don't think that I owe them anything. Well, you don't owe them anything except forgiveness. And you might be saying, well, how in the world am I supposed to do this? Well, that question is not a new question. Peter, the leader of the 12 disciples, kind of the spokesman, kind of the person that would be the voice of the 12, probably somebody, one of the other 12 came up to him and said, hey, Peter, ask him about this. And Peter was a loudmouth, so he asked it. And so he asked Jesus, he says, Jesus, what am I supposed to do when, when someone, someone I forgive commits another, another fault. Do I forgive them again? Jesus says, yes. Well, Peter's like, well, how many times do I forgive them? 
And Jesus gives this kind of weird math equation. He says you're supposed to forgive them seven times 70. Before you do the math in your head, that was a symbolic, a metaphorical way of saying it's complete. You know, seven is a very complete number in the Bible. So, so you pray, you forgive to completion. You forgive until it's set right. You forgive until it's over. So you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. It's a process that, that is ongoing. It's a process that, that, um, that is, is difficult. It's a process that we have to identify the pain and take action on it. And we think about the big issues in our lives, the big things that, that, that are sources of bitterness for us. And those are hard to deal with, but in some ways they're almost easy to identify where forgiveness needs to happen. We can pick out that one person, we can pick out that one act and say, that's where I need to forgive. But a lot of times it's those little things in our lives that we allow just to fester and be there and, and kind of continue to create tension and conflict in the relationship that we don't identify and we don't practice forgiveness. Because there's, there's power in, in, in forgiving somebody else. There's power in giving that, but we, we hold on to it. Um, about six months into my first ministry in Illinois, I was, I was uh, called home because my mom was in the hospital. And I was called home on a Thursday and Mom has a congestive heart failure. And so this is about five years ago when I went home, and it was, a, it was a rough weekend, meeting with doctors and talking about, okay, next steps, and they decided to put in a, a pacemaker and that procedure, and it's just, just a long, exhausting weekend. We've all been there where we're in the hospital with a loved one. There's a lot of questions. There's not a lot of answers, and there's not a lot of sleep, and there's not a lot of rest. And so that was my weekend, and I went through all this, and, and by the time Sunday rolled around, Things were looking better. Mom was able to go home. She had, had some clear kind of next steps, and things were stable again. So, so I returned to Illinois. And I pull in the driveway on Sunday late afternoon, early evening. I'm exhausted. You're just emotionally fried in that moment, right? And I look around, and I think to myself, wow, I've got a night off. It was the first night of summer, and our student programming wasn't meeting that night, and I could just relax. And I look around and I see that the grass is, you know, is really high and I need to cut the grass. And I think to myself, well, this would be great. You know, I'll get out and do something physical and kind of work through some of the stress. And so I'm out there cutting the grass and, you know, you go down a row and you come back, you go down a row, you go back, kind of get in a zone, right? You kind of, kind of block everything out. And all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I see someone standing in the yard. And I look up and it's, it's Evelyn. And Evelyn's a, about a 75-year-old woman in the church, uh, someone who's been there forever and um, someone who, who is, who is well-known, and she's standing in the church, and I think, what's going on? So I turn off the mower, and I walk over, and I say, you know, can I help you? What's going on? And Evelyn immediately took a very um, uh, negative tone. She, she began to, to criticize me, to yell at me, to berate me, because while I was cutting grass, there was an adult service going on at the church. And, and I was not setting a good example because I was cutting grass during church. And I try to explain, you know, Evelyn looked like, like I've actually had a long weekend. I didn't even think about it. And students aren't meeting. And she just, just drove into me over and over again, just beating me down. And in that moment, I'm emotionally fried anyway. Like, it was, it was, it hurt. But just on top of everything, feeling disrespected, feeling like she's not respecting my family. Just, this hurts. And so, about a year later, I'm in the, in the church kitchen. If you know anything about church kitchens, there's always one person who's in charge of the church kitchen. And they run things with precision and order and discipline that, that no Fortune 500 company has ever seen. Things are labeled and things are put in their place. It's just it's, it's 
militant. And Evelyn was that person, right? And so we had done a big fundraiser dinner. We were taking a mission trip. We were doing a fundraiser. And so it was late at night. You know, you do a fundraiser, and you always don't get as many people as you need to help. You're always taking on more, and you always don't make as much money as you hope, right? And so we're doing this fundraiser, and we're cleaning up afterwards, and we're washing dishes. And I've got this just counter full of silverware. I think we used every piece of silverware in the church. And it's all been washed, but it hasn't been dried. And I look at it, and I think to myself, I don't want to do this. And so I just take the silverware, put it in the totes, and put it back in the cabinet wet, which creates water spots, right? Knowing full well that Evelyn was going to see this. Knowing full well that I was going to catch it, and I was going to get it bad from her. But I was going to stick it to her, right? I was going to settle the score. I was going to do this to spite her intentionally, and I was going to communicate that there is tension here, that there is a problem that we need to talk about. And so she's going to talk about the silverware, but I'm going to talk about the grass a year ago, right? And that's what we do. We, we create these situations where we are going to prove a point, where we are somehow going to get even. We, we need somebody to, to, to apologize, and we're going to get justice because it's ours. We don't think about forgiving first. We think about, about getting them to apologize and making it right. And, and, that's, and that's the whole thing is that, is that there, are, there are some consequences here, right? There are some, there are some things that have to happen that, that cause us some problems. There are some things here that, that, that go on in our lives that when we allow them to fester, they become bigger than they should be. And so right after Peter asked Jesus about how many times do I forgive, Jesus tells a parable. He tells a parable about forgiveness that you can find in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, the story goes like this, starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought, to, brought in who owed him millions of dollars, literally about 350 tons of silver. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and released him and forgave his debt. There's moments where we can't repay the debt that we have. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about things that are more important than that. There are points where the debtor can't always repay. We think about our relationship with God. We cannot repay God for what he's done for us. You think about important friendships and family members in your life. You can't repay the sacrifices they have made. You can't get even with them in a good way for what they've done for you. You just can't do it. You know, often we think about debt as a, as a crippling thing, as a, as a suff, suffocating thing. We talk about the, just the, how, how, how that just limits our capacity to live, and it's just a concern and anxiety. But this kind of debt is the opposite. It's a freeing kind of debt. Because of what God did, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are able to be free. And it's a huge debt that we don't have to repay. It's a freeing kind of debt. When you're in the other seat, the offended can always show mercy. When someone screws up, when someone makes a mistake, we have an option. We can show mercy. We have that that opportunity to, to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Because often they don't. They don't even realize they've hurt you. They don't even realize it was such an offense. They don't even realize it was such a problem. And there's power in forgiving somebody. There's grace there. There's, there's that ability to say, you know what, it's fine. Don't worry about it. 
So about a, about a month after my, my silverware uh, plan that I hatched up, right? I get a call in the middle of the night. It's about 11.30 at night. And it's another lady from the church, and she says, Josh, I, I've, call, I've called some people, and no one's answering. I said, well, I, you know, so-and-so's out of town, and they're busy. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like on call right now. What's, what's going on? She says, well, you need to go to the hospital because Evelyn's had a massive heart attack. So I drop everything. I walk out the door, and, and I get to the hospital, and, I, and you walk in, and I don't even have to hear what's going on. You just see in the faces of the family, like, this is, this is bad, and this is going to end soon. And so I sit down, and I, and I talk with the family, and I pray with the family, and I, I, I just try to be present in that moment. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. So you're just there, right? You just want to be there for them. And so we sit, and we sit, and a few, a few minutes tick by, and an hour ticks by, and another hour ticks by. It's like 2 in the morning now. The doctor comes in and says, there's really nothing we can do. She's been in surgery. She, she's not going to make it. Um, it's just kind of a waiting game now. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, here is, here is this family who's, who's losing their wife, their mother, their grandmother, the, the matriarch of the family. And, and, and what do I say? What do I do? And I think to myself, what do I say about the woman who I've been so bitter towards? What do I say about the woman who I've held such resentment towards? What do I say about the woman who I've talked about her behind her back? What do I say about the woman who, who I've avoided at all costs? Because I, I had such anger towards her. And so I go home and, 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 I, and, I, and I sleep. And the next, next, or next couple, days, couple days later, there's the funeral. And, I, and I'm walking down the church hallway. And, um, and I walk by the kitchen. And in the kitchen are, are about ten of Evelyn's friends. Women that, that served with her in that ministry to prepare meals for people. And to love them and support them in that. And they're all gathered around the counter and the sink. And they're just furiously scrubbing on the silverware because they know that to honor her it needs to be right to honor her it needs to be it needs to be made right and so my my big plan to get even my big plan to to prove a point all it did all it did was make me feel and realize just how small i was to make me realize how how crippling unforgiveness can be and to realize the consequences of unforgiveness that these consequences of unforgiveness are so big and so beyond what we can imagine that 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 when we realize them it feels like things are kind of caving in in that moment i felt i felt like things were caving in felt like things were just were just horrible i felt i felt worthless because i was because I had held such a grudge and I had tried to prove a point and now I'm at her funeral and I never got an opportunity to give her forgiveness. I never got an opportunity to extend that. I never made that step. And there are consequences of this. In the parable that Jesus tells, the man who's been forgiven of millions, he's walking out of the palace. He's got, he's got a lottery ticket. He's got a new lease on life. He is, he is set now. There is... There are no more problems in his life financially, right? He walks out, walks into the street, and sees somebody who owes him $1,000. He sees this guy who owes him $1,000, and he gets right in the guy's face. And he grabs him around the neck, and he, he demands payment. And he says, you're going to pay me now, and I'm not going to wait, or I'm going to throw you in jail. And so all this is going on, and of course the king hears about it. The king hears about it, and we pick up the story in verse 32. 
of Matthew 18. Then the, then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And here's the, here's the kicker. Here's not the fun verse to read. 35, that's what my, fa- my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Unforgiveness puts you in jail. Unforgiveness is crippling. Unforgiveness has consequences. When we don't forgive those around us, we are, are hindering our relationship with God. We are hindering the forgiveness that he offered us on the cross. When we say, I'm not going to forgive that other person, when I say, I'm not going to forgive them until they apologize, when I say, I'm not going to forgive them until they, make, until they make it right, when we say that, we're saying the cross wasn't as total as it is. We're saying that that sacrifice didn't mean as much as it did. We're taking something away from that. And you might be saying, you don't understand, Josh. I've, I've, I've gone through this, and this pain has happened, and this hurt has happened, and, and this person walked out of me and betrayed my family, whatever it is. You don't understand. I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand your exact pain. I don't understand your story. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't understand a lot about forgiveness because I'm still processing something that was said to me five years ago in my backyard while I'm cutting grass. I understand unforgiveness. I understand bitterness. I understand what it means because even though I don't get what it, what it feels like when a parent chooses something else other than you, even though I may not understand what it, what it feels like to be betrayed and have a marriage or a relationship fall apart, even though I may not understand that, I understand this, that Jesus' love is greater, is bigger than any offense. Jesus' love is greater than any offense. And I also believe that Jesus' Jesus' love is greater and is bigger than anything we say or do. We can walk away from God. We can can never follow God, but that doesn't mean God doesn't leave us. That doesn't mean that God is suddenly absent from our lives. Because after everything Jesus went through, after being whipped with this this horrific bone and, and, and tasseled thing that just tore his back apart, after being nailed with railroad spikes to the cross after going through all of that his the first thing he says the first thing he says as he struggles to even get a breath is father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing because when we forgive others we're embracing the cross we're embracing what that means we're we're living it out a little bit more and when we don't forgive we cheapen his sacrifice we take something away from it matthew 6 verses 14 through 15 says this For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgive because you're forgiven. Forgive because you're forgiven. And when we don't, we miss out on some of that grace. We miss out on some of that relationship with God. So where does this this start? What's what's the, the next step for you? The next step is not for you to somehow go out there and forgive someone who's, who wronged you so, so horribly and suddenly the, rest, the relationship's perfect and restored and everything's great. That's not the next step. The next step may not even be for you to go ahead and call somebody. That may not be the next step. 
The next step may not be those things, but the next step probably is for you to begin to pray, to ask God to show you what it means, what it looks like to, to stop refusing. To stop refusing forgiveness for others. For you to explore that. God to kind of soften you up a little bit and say, okay, what am I holding on to? Because when we forgive others, it's not really about the other person. It's not about making the situation right. It's about, it's about making us right. You know, the, bitterness, this is a quote I've heard a lot, but bitterness is, is like sipping poison and expecting the other person to get sick. When we, when we hold on to something, we're only harming ourselves. Did I, did I hurt Evelyn by not forgiving her? Not really. I only hurt myself. And so you have a choice. You can live in, in, the, in the prison of unforgiveness. You can live in that. Or you can begin to embrace the freeing debt that you, you have in the cross. Because ultimately, this is what it's about. About following Christ is about forgiveness that we receive personally from Him, from His sacrifice, but we also extend to others. Because we begin to forgive because we're forgiven. In the, in the next few minutes, I, I want to give you guys an opportunity to do that. I want to give myself an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray here, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to sing some songs, and, and it's just going to be a little bit different feel. But this is a time for you to, um, to think about this. Who are you refusing forgiveness towards? Who are you holding back something? You know, there's going to be people down front, and I'll be available. If you want to pray with somebody, if you want to talk with somebody about this, you know, you're right that there are some things that are really, really hard, but I would say, I'd say the first step is to, to extend some, that load to someone else, to allow someone else to come alongside you. And so there's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. But this is an opportunity for you to start to think, in this Easter season, as we talk about what Christ did on the cross, that sacrifice, as we talk about what He did there, let's not just sit and stare at that. Let's begin to live it out in our own lives. Let's begin to extend that forgiveness others let's pray lord i don't have this figured out i have bitterness in my heart i i I have withheld forgiveness to others and lord in doing so i i feel like i'm missing something i'm missing a piece of you and lord i i just i assume i that i'm not the only one that's in this in this situation Lord, I know that there are pain and there is pain and there is hurt in this room that is bigger than anything I can imagine or have experienced. But I also know that you are bigger than anything I've experienced or imagined as well. So, Lord, as we as we sit in this, as we as we worship, as we sing some some familiar songs that, that have meaning and weight, let us let us sit with this whole idea that one of the, the first last things you said was about forgiving others. Forgiving others who didn't deserve it. Forgiving others who didn't ask for it. Forgiving others who were, who were executing that pain. And so Lord, as we, as we enter into this time, allow this to be a time where maybe we begin to stop refusing. That we start there and see where you lead us. Because Lord, if, if we're going to follow you, we have to begin to forgive because you've forgiven us. And we love you. Son's name. Amen.